you know, we, we aspire to, you know, be a, a top top three team in the Eastern Conference. Uh, we want to host a home playoff game. We want to make a run uh, for an MLS Cup. Um, you know, with the type of things we're doing on the roster, I, you know, I think those are very achievable and attainable, you know, goals for this year. But that's what we aspire to in 21. since Inter-Miami played a game, but preseason is underway. Unofficially so, but it's underway all the same. Hello everybody and welcome to the latest episode of Miami Total Football Radio, or as you know I like to call it, Miami Total Football Radio. I am your co-host Franco Panizo, and joining me on this week's podcast is none other than David Beckham's long-lost cousin, Steve Brenner. I know that name is uh, maybe wearing on you a bit, but I think we got to stick with it, man. I think people know you, know you by it now, and people love it. So, Steve, how are you doing this week? Nickname aside, how was the weekend? Obviously, we had an eventful Saturday, but how was your Sunday? You got some time to decompress and maybe take a step back and analyze everything that happened and probably enjoy some time with the family as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, just on the nickname, I mean, clearly David Beckham had absolutely no idea that I was potentially a member of his family and we spoke to him <laughs> on Saturday. So I think now is the time to retire that moniker once and for all because when it push came to shove, he just looked at me like another reporter, not one of his cousins. So I don't know. That, I think the people. I think the people love the nickname. I think. I think. I think we need to let the people decide if you know if we should keep calling you David Beckham's longest cousin, or if we should call you something else. What, what's what's Spanish for for cousin? Like El, El Cosino or something. Like that? <laughs> primo, man, primo. How long have you been in South Florida, brother? How do you not oh, know these? Sorry, primo, primo. Okay, no, I quite like that. El primo. Why not? <laughs> It's not bad. It's not bad. It's not bad. But yeah, no, it was a, uh, it was a, it was a good, um, it was a, it was a good event down, down at the, the, at the stadium. It was good to see some fans sort of milling around as well, which was cool. And um, you know, look, it's we, we speak to that today. It's one year since the, the first game, which is just absolutely wild. But um, you know, I think everything looks like they're they've got their 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 group together, the coaching staff, and all the players are back now, and everyone seems just to be pulling in the right direction. So they've done a lot. of Enough talking, I think, now for um, you know since Phil Neville was appointed, and, and we've spoken to Beckham a couple of times now, and I think now the hard work is really beginning to kick in. I'm sure we, you know the friendlies have been announced, all that sort of stuff. So now I think it's the time for them to work, and then we're building up to that to that big kickoff, and let's see what's what's really changed. I do think that that is pretty noteworthy that you just touched on that we were able to go to the training facility on Saturday at the stadium on Saturday and speak to the club's brass, not only David Beckham and Jorge Mas, but also Phil Neville and Chris Henderson. I think it's notable for the fact that I could be wrong, but Inter Miami may have been the first team in maybe all of the world to open its doors in that manner with media being able to get that close to... Possibly. I mean, I don't know about you, but it was the first time in, in pretty much a year that I've actually been to like an in-person... That's press. what I'm saying. That's what, I mean, ev- yeah. everybody right now is doing things, you know, remotely or virtually, Zoom calls. Inter-Miami's done mostly Zoom calls, but obviously this was an opportunity that they thought they, they could take and they had us come in and we were able to get, you know, pretty up close and personal with... with with the club's brass, obviously socially distanced and following some protocols, but I think Inter Miami may have been the first club and the first team in 
the in the all of the world to open its doors in this manner since the pandemic began because I, I, everybody else Europe South America everybody else is doing things from you know just strictly remotely and virtually so kudos to, to Inter Miami for allowing us that opportunity it almost felt like things were back to normal obviously we had our masks on and we were still a little bit distanced from from them but we were able to talk to them ask them questions see their faces up close and personal it almost felt like things were back to normal. Um, which is, you know, maybe a good sign for what's to come later on in 2021. But like you mentioned, we have a lot to talk about. There's a lot of news and nuggets and notes that came out of Saturday. So we're going to dive into all of that, including the signing of Gregori, the Brazilian midfielder that was signed last week, right after we put out the show. I had a few people on Twitter saying, man, you guys have to record another episode this week because, you know, you guys haven't talked about Gregori. So we're going to talk about him this week. We're going to talk about David Beckham's comments about the jersey, Jorge Mas talking about a jersey sponsorship, the preseason plans, a whole bunch. We have plenty to talk about. going to try to move quickly because there's quite a few things to do it. So I'm not even going to bother with the follow us on social media this week. If you haven't, just, you know, find us on Miami Total Football and on all our channels and do so. But let's get to it. All right, Steve. Well, we had this opportunity to sit down and meet with Club Brass, and we got a lot of news and information out of it. Some good news, some not so good news in terms of an injury. We'll touch on that in a little bit. But let's start with just your overall feel and perspective on the event that took place on Saturday. Obviously, it was a jersey launch for La Palma, the secondary, the new secondary Inter-Miami jersey, black with the palms on it, the, the, the one that had been leaked online for the past few weeks. If you haven't seen it, you can see it on at Miami Total Football's YouTube page. But Steve, what did you, what was your takeaway from our one hour, 90 minute, two hour meeting with Team Brass? Yeah, it was it was great. I mean, you know, look, in, in normal times, in inverted commas, you know, um, you know, this was an opportunity Phil never wanted to get to meet the the local media of which we're, we're members of. Um, so it, you know, it was such risen guys, and then it was some radios and TV guys. But it, it was obviously still had to be a little bit distance. I think if if it was in normal times, we probably would have gone for a coffee with him, or maybe had a beer, or I, I don't know. It just it would have been a little bit more up close and personal. It was still a little bit standoffish just because he. He wasn't able to sit in amongst us, um, but I think he just—they just wanted to show that they're—they're they're keen to to try and strike up a, a, a good relationship with with the media from the start. Um, it was—it's been a little sort of disjointed and a bit fractured, mainly because of when the pandemic hit. The season had only just begun, so we never really got to to, to know and, and and have a sort of relationship with with Diego Alonso. Um, you know, we weren't going down to the training ground every week. We were missing out, you know, the, the stuff on Zoom. The, the club tried hard, but it just wasn't, you know, it's just, it's just not the same. So this was their attempt to, just to try and, you know, please us and, and, and say hello and just be nice and, and just generally just start off on the on the right foot. And I think for the most part, it was great. It worked It worked fine. I just, it's unfortunate we just couldn't act normally, but we, we can't because that, that's just the modern times. And, and, and Beckham was there and, and Jorge Mas and, and Chris Henderson. And, you know, I, ju- I just felt that they're all singing from the same hymn sheet. You know, that it's a it's a collective effort. It just seems like a much more cohesive sort of group. Now, Jorge's there and, you know, he was laughing about you, you see me at a stadium jumping up and down and shouting at the officials and stuff. That that That's him. But I think Chris Henderson is clearly a savvy guy, doesn't give a lot away. Um, but has got great experience and is is that sort of sort of figurehead and, and 
um, sort of MLS-centric sort of guy that they, they need there. And then you've got Beckham, who effectively is kind of like de facto, you know, assistant manager, um, being at the training ground. And, and, and even the we saw some footage earlier, he's, he's training with the squad, he's running around. So I think just to have that influence there, and, you know, I'm sure Phil Neville is his own guy and he'll do his own things. But, you know, he's, he's clearly very close to Beckham. They've got a they've got a great relationship and they'll they'll talk football until the cows come home. So um, you know I just I just felt there was just like a unity there, which perhaps that was evident in, in the past. We didn't we didn't witness it, and then from things we were hearing from behind the scenes, it was pretty disjointed, and you know the cliques were appearing and all that sort of stuff. So it just we it, he wanted Phil Neville and the other guys. They wanted the impression that. This is a fresh start. This is what we want to do. We want to keep you on side. We want to help you out. We appreciate you. We understand your jobs and what you have to do. And let's move on. Of course, look, it changes once the football season starts, soccer season starts, and matches come and go and defeats happen or wins happen. You know, it's going to be ups and downs, but it was a good start by them. You said the word right or the term right foot, and I think that's what this was for Inter Miami. I think they were trying to right some wrongs compared to last year, that maybe they as a, as a whole, I'm talking about not just ownership, I'm talking about just the club in general, maybe understood that some of the things or the ways that they operated with or how they maneuvered and managed things in, in 2020 was not necessarily the best way. And I think not only for us on the media side, but also for fans, because the club's brass also met with the supporters groups or, or members of the supporters groups and they had a similar type meeting where they sat down and talked, answered questions, talked about their role and their vision for the club and you know the, the relationship that needs to exist between the fans and the team. And I think it was a much more personal touch that they wanted to have. Whereas last year, even before the pandemic hit, which obviously the pandemic, you know, pushed us all away, further away from the team because you know you couldn't get close to the players or the head coach or any of you just obvious for obvious reasons. But even before that, Inter Miami kind of had us at arm's length. You know, we, we would ask about injuries and it was vi- super mysterious. They wouldn't want to say anything about you know Juan Aguilar being healthy or not or Julian Carranza how long he was. Out. It was it was all a bit at arm's length, and I think that they've realized. That's not the best way to go about cultivating relationships with fans, with media. And I think that they're going to try to be a bit more open, as open as things can be right now, given the circumstances. But I think that's that was the message to me, that that's what I took away from it. That they're trying to establish better relationships with their fans and working relationships with us on the media side. So... We got a good we got a good taste of it because we got a lot of news and nuggets out of Saturday, which gives us plenty to talk about on the media side, plenty for fans to dissect and chew on and really talk about and converse about. So let's let's start because we have a lot. I don't want to stay stuck on any one thing uh, for too long, but we'll start with actually news from today. Before we get into Saturday, let's start with news from today. Inter Miami announced Phil Neville's coaching staff, the official coaching staff and there it's comprised of Phil Neville and eight other members. You have assistant head coaches Jason Christ and Anthony Pulis. You have an assistant slash director of goalkeeper slash set piece specialist Mark Mason. You have assistant goalkeeper coach Sebastian Saha, head of performance Miguel Motolongo, 
performance analyst Alex Scott, assistant analyst Brett Utley, and last but not least, sports scientist Nicholas Lewis. So a pretty healthy squad there. You have three returning members from last season, and that's Utley, Saha, and Pulis. And obviously Jason Christ was with Fort Lauderdale, but now he, Fort Lauderdale CF, now he's with the Inter-Miami technical staff. Any thoughts on that team that was brought together or that, that group that will make up Phil Neville's coaching staff? Yeah, I mean, I, I like the look of it. I mean, Anthony Pulis is, is, was there last year, so he, he knows he knows his way around the club. And, I, you know, I just think Jason Christ is a good, that's a canny, uh, you know, pick, a guy that, you know, I, when I first started covering MLS, when I came to New York in, in 2013, he, he was appointed as manager of NYCFC. So I had some dealings, you know, with him, pretty straight up and down guy. But, you know, just, just away from that, he's he's got experience within the in the U.S. system, in the U.S. game. He's been around the block. He, he's, he's managed in his own right. So I just think that is so key for, for someone like Phil Neville to have not only Pulis, who's been in and around the squad for the last year, uh, but to someone like Jason Christ as well, to have that, and then Chris Henderson, and then David Beckham as well, all of a sudden it gives it like a complete different dynamic, that sort of coaching coaching staff, the sort of brains trust of, of where they want to go. I just think they have a nice mix there of everything. To be honest, and I guess this is also symptomatic of, A, me probably not doing my homework enough, and B, the... Um, <laughs> You know, the, were you, know, you were you ever a homework guy, Steve? Or no, you know? not really. No, no, I just have natural talent. Um, <laughs> but the, um, you know, I couldn't really. Who, who was even working behind the scenes alongside Diego last year? Who, you know, where was a similar sort of setup last year? Obviously, you know, Beckham. Beckham was around, but then you had Paul McDonough, who was an agent. Not, you know, had some sort of experience, but not really on the same level football side as, as Jason Christ. I think Anthony Pulis was a little bit marginalised last year. Who was I? I couldn't tell you who was who was there really. I mean, so it was it was mostly his handpicked staff, I, I believe. I, from what I from what I remember, I think most of the staff last year was Diego's team, Diego's guys that he brought on board. Now, obviously, the only one that he brought on board that has remained is Sebastian Saha, who was the goalkeeper coach last year. Now he's the assistant goalkeeper coach. I've heard nothing but good things about him from different people I've spoken to. So not surprised that he was retained. Obviously, he's still he was he's been in South Florida during the course of the winter. So it always seemed like he was going to be one to stay. If you you know you saw his Instagram post, he was in South Florida for much of much of the off season. So it always seemed like he was going to remain. Though it must be said that Diego Alonso is also still living and residing in South Florida. I assume that the buyout money he got was good enough for him to stick around in his probably nice apartment that he had facing the ocean. Because I remember when we did those first initial Zoom calls with him when the pandemic hit last year, you know, you, you would see him outdoors on his patio and you could see the reflection of the ocean in, in his in the, uh, the window behind him. So Living living the dream. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, he's hey, there's worse things to do than be Diego Alonso right now, for sure. Um, so I, like, I think the, the staff as a whole... You've got a good mix of things, people that Phil Neville is very comfortable with because there's obviously some some foreign hires there, but there's also some hires that have been with Inter-Miami. So you have some continuity. and you've got Then you bring in Jason Christ, who has a lot of MLS know-how. So I think the staff is pretty well-rounded in that sense. Now, obviously, we'll see what 
you know how how things play out over the course of the season, how the results go, and there we'll get to see the body of work of this staff a little bit more. But I think it's promising. I know some people have said, you know, you have an assistant coach in Jason Christ that has more experience in MLS or experience in general than your head coach. But I think he's being brought on board because because of that, because of his knowledge of MLS and because he can be maybe the, the right-hand man to Neville and really help him get integrated into the league, which we've talked about countless times, has so many different challenges. It's, it does get difficult for foreign coaches. Historically, foreign coaches have not done well in MLS because of all the different things and issues that, that can arise and exist in MLS, the challenges that exist. So I think Jason Christ being one of the right-hand men is is a smart move, a good decision to have him on on the brass or on the, on the and, staff. And also, you know, well-versed in, in, a, in, a, in working with a franchise a new franchise, you know, it was it was there with NYCFC straight from yep. the start. So I think that that helps too. Yep. And see, before we move on from the from the coaching staff, did you find it at all interesting that Mark Mason, who is an assistant coach, director of goalkeepers, he also has the title set piece specialist. Now, I don't know many MLS teams that have someone with that title. I don't, I can't recall any off the top of my head. But that, to me, stood out today. I don't know if it stood out for you, but to me that stood out that they have someone under the, the title set-piece specialist. Because, you know, if anybody that's listening to this has followed this podcast since last year, anybody that's followed my coverage of the team, I dissected in 2020 and did a whole video on it about the fact that they were not good at set-pieces and that they that was one facet of the game that was really hurting them. So it's very intriguing to me that they now have someone with the title set piece specialist. Yeah, and he's also, I mean, he's also he's a, he's a goalkeeping coach uh, as well, which is also an interesting sort of just caveat. Obviously, you would associate that kind of coach, I guess, with being an outfield player rather than than a goalkeeper himself. But someone that that's worked with Phil Neville for the women's national team, uh, he was part of the the team that got to the semi final in 2019 at the World Cup. Uh, 14-year career in English soccer, has worked at Ipswich, technical director for South End, head camera coach for Portsmouth. So, yeah, interesting move. And again, yeah, interesting that they've just made out, made sure that people are aware that he's a set-piece specialist. I'm pretty sure Liverpool have got a um, throw-in specialist. <laughs> uh, so, nice. but, you know, it's a t- that's just a little bit of attention to, to detail. He, it, Phil Neville's clearly used him for England and had success with it. So, yeah, but that's something we ha- we'll have to ask him, um, you know, moving forward about that because it's it's interesting. You don't really see that a great deal. Um, but I guess as the game gets more technical and you can break things down more, than those sort of posts will uh, come up. So let's. I'm gonna so when they get their first corner, I'm gonna be absolutely riveted to see what. <laughs> We're gonna dissect every corner kick this season, every single one. Look, just quickly on that, I think, and I don't want to toot my own horn here, but I think. What we analyzed and what we talked about last year was not far off from maybe what they've seen. Because Chris Henderson on different occasions has talked about, you know, Ryan Shawcross and him coming into uh, coming into attack set pieces and being excited about that that facet or that aspect that he can bring to the table. I think that they realize that they need to improve on set pieces. Because not every game is going to be, you know, I, I think they'll improve this year. They're going to want to improve from their own play. But not every game you're going to be able to have your best game. And sometimes you need those set pieces to help open up a game or bring you back into a game or even win a game late. Like we saw against Orlando City last year on one of the few occasions that Inter-Miami scored off of, off of a set piece, off of a corner kick. I think there's a stat out there 
that I, I don't remember if it's one third or one fourth, but either one, either one of those, one third or one fourth of all goals scored in soccer football football come off of set pieces, be it a free kick, Absolutely, a corner yeah. kick. So that's a very important facet of the game. And Inter Miami was very poor in that regard in 2020 for all the reasons we've talked about in before. So be very curious to see how much of an improvement there is in that area in 2021. It's an attention, attention to detail. So you can't, you can't knock it. I mean, that's, it's a, it's a good idea. Um, you know, that's, sure. that's yeah. Right. Right. right writing marginal, the wrongs, writing the wrongs. Marginal I think. gains. Marginal gains. So we'll continue on now. So now we'll go on to the first day of unofficial preseason. I know we said we talk about Saturday and we're going to, but there was a lot of news today. So let's, let's, you know, dive into that as well. Today was the first day unofficially of preseason now it's unofficial because these are voluntary workouts although Inter Miami had practically almost the entire squad out there today and you know they took part in looked like team training you know at first we thought it might be individual workouts like they did a year ago when they first got back after the pandemic break or the pause because of the pandemic and they you saw players just running on their own and doing shooting drills alone no, this was a, almost a, practically a full team training. The players ran together, jogged around the field. David Beckham joined them, as you mentioned earlier. They went through drills together with Phil Neville on the field, pointing and giving directions. And they, I think they even had some small-sided games or even maybe 7v7s. Don't know exact, the exact number there. But this was a pretty wide-open, full-blown training session. And... You know, it's unofficial because next week, March 8th, is the official start of preseason. But this is essentially, you know, day one for, for the entire team. So if you're an Inter Miami fan, I'd expect that you got excited seeing the players back out there. And, you know, obviously this season doesn't start again until April 17th, but it'll be here faster than you know it. Now, the almost the entire squad was out there, like I, like I just mentioned. There were a couple of omissions. Didn't see Ryan Shawcross in any of the footage that we were sent. Did not see Gregory. Now on Instagram, Gregory posted a photo of him training in Brazil. Don't know if that was from today. He was with a trainer. Could have been today. Could have been over the weekend. Never know. Don't know if, if he's in Brazil still or if he's in Miami or in South Florida. Maybe the visa situation is still getting sorted out as sometimes happens so he might not be with the group yet or might not be with the group for a bit but he was signed late last week or last week after we recorded our last pod and just quickly Steve wanted to get your thoughts on the signing for me I think whereas Shawcross I have a lot of questions I think Gregori even though I don't know a whole lot about his style of play in terms of watching him based on what I have heard and what I have read I think he's going to be a very good signing. This is essentially Chris Henderson's first real signing. This is the one that his fingerprints are all over. He's been tracking Gregory since, or Gregory since his Seattle Sounders day, since Henderson was with Seattle Sounders. He wanted to sign him over there. Now he gets him here in Miami at the number six spot, the defensive midfield spot, a spot that I thought Inter-Miami needed to upgrade and wrote about it as soon as the offseason began. They have address that position what do you think he will bring to the team and what he'll do for Blaise Matuidi and everyone around him yeah bit, 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 of, bit of solidity really isn't it you know they, the Will Trapp has gone and I think he'll probably fill that role I haven't seen a, a great deal of him 
maybe you know it's played over a hundred times in in the Brazilian Serie A. You know the, the Brazilian league, although it doesn't get much um, you know um, coverage f- throughout the world. You know it's still it's still a, de- a very decent standard. And you, you know so many players and clubs will, will try and you know create and, and nurture players so they can go to Europe and they're, they're selling for, for for big money. Um, uh, but as well, you know if you're coming from this from Brazilian Championship into MLS. Then you should be able to more than than handle yourself, I think, uh, with, without a doubt. And he's an experienced guy; he's only 26, um, and I just think he'll he'll kind of hold hold the midfield together. So if they've got him in in, in Blaze sort of together in, in the centre, and that that already gives that sort of spine of the team quite a nice sort of solid solid sort of feel. We haven't we haven't seen him play yet, and obviously it takes time to adapt. But you, you think with a guy of his experience playing in you know, at a, such a you know decent standard in Brazil, he shouldn't have too many problems. Um, you know, I'm not going to say stepping down, but coming coming to MLS, he should be able to adapt pretty pretty quickly. So I'm excited to see how he gets on. And he's also 26 years old. So whereas Ryan Shawcross is 33 and closer to the end of his career than the beginning, Gregori is in the prime or heading towards the prime of his career. So theoretically, you should get the best out of him over these next few seasons. And Inter-Miami has not signed him to a cheap deal. They have signed him and locked him up for four years with the option for a fifth. So they are high on this player, or at least Chris Henderson is high on this Brazilian midfielder. Again, from what I've heard and read, he's going to be that pit bull in the middle that's going to break things up and give Inter-Miami that extra muscle, that added muscle that they needed I imagine it's going to free up Blaise Matuidi. Last year, you saw Blaise Matuidi trying to do you know, both sides of the game, which he's going to do again in parts, but it, it seemed like he was being asked to do far too much uh, in addition to you know, having to adjust to a new league and the different things that come with MLS. That's something that I thought Greg, uh, that Phil Neville, I think it was Phil Neville, it might have been Chris Henderson, but I think it was Phil Neville, you know, if I'm if I'm mistaken here, apologies, but I think it was Phil Neville that said he's coming in off of a Serie A season, so he should more or less be pretty in form and not have as much maybe off-season cobwebs as other players once he does arrive. So that's definitely something notable. Again, I think this is a very good signing, if, and it's Chris Henderson's appointment or, or hire or signing. So. You know, Henderson has a proven track record. We'll see how it goes, but I think it's going to work out really well. I think that midfield is going to be a lot more solidified now with with Matuidi and Gregori. At least on paper, that's what, that's what you would think, but we'll see how it works once, you know, they get on the field and the games start, start coming. Now, Henderson did talk about still wanting to sign two more players. And Kieran Gibbs was one player that he mentioned that they are in discussions with. Now, he might not come. If he if he comes, Henderson said he might not be able to come until the summer, but that they're exploring other options as well. What are your thoughts there on you know Gibbs? Do you think he'll be the guy, or do you think Inter Miami is going to try to sign somebody else for the start of the season on April 17th? Because Henderson did say you know it's going to be an attacking piece and it's going to be a fullback. That's what they're looking at. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it sounds like they want they want Kieran Gibbs. They've been in talks. You know, we we were under the impression it was going to be sorted out in maybe two or three weeks ago. That hasn't happened for 
you know, various reasons and negotiations and all that kind of stuff. He's free to leave. Um, you know, word was in England that perhaps it wasn't the move wasn't going to happen. So I don't know they're they're obviously keeping their, their options open. Um, they they think they they definitely want him and thought they had him in the last two or three weeks ago. That hasn't happened, but that's not to say it's not going to happen. And yeah, I mean, I think I asked Chris Henderson about if he came in the summer, would that be a problem? They were like, well, no, that's that that's fine. I mean, the Premier League's still got twelve games to go. Um, he hasn't really been used at all, I think, at West Brom. Um, but, I mean, is it essential they get him in right now? I mean, it would definitely be handy um, to, to sort of, you know, get him in and get him involved and everything like that. But um, sometimes you just have to, you've got to wait. You've just got to wait a little bit. So we'll have, we'll have to we'll have to see, you know, if they can get someone else in now. Will he be of a, a better quality than him? It just depends who, who they're after, really. But, um, you know, I think Gibbs will give them just a bit of, Athleticism down the left-hand side is good on the ball. They get up and down well. He's a decent player. Played at an excellent standard. So, um, you know, that's probably their number one target. But you know, things things change. People get different offers. You just you know, you just don't know. Um, but it's a good move for the player. Uh, but it's whether or not he wants to he wants to sign on the dotted lines. I'm just have to wait and see. I want to hear this this quote from Henderson. I want to play this quote from Henderson. So let, let's listen to it because I think it's noteworthy for various reasons. We hope to make two additions. Uh, we are waiting on some decisions on, uh, you know, with the at the league level um, for where we are and, and what we can do this year, um, and then we'll the, we'll see. Okay, Steve. So listening to that from Chris Henderson, it sounds like to me it's what I took away from it. Inter Miami is seeing how they can maneuver their roster, and to me, again, this is just my interpretation, my read on it. They're maybe trying to see if they can buy Matias Pellegrini's or change his label on the roster. Because obviously he's a DP, a young DP. Maybe they're trying to see if with the new rules, and this is something we were asked last week by one of our listeners, can he be moved to the you know under-22 threshold and, and be labeled under that? Because if he can, and if they can open up a DP spot... Well, then the attacking piece that they want to add can be a much higher caliber player than if it's not, right? So I, I, that was that's my takeaway from it. That's what I think maybe they're waiting for because, again, they are looking for, in addition to the fullback, they are looking for an attacking piece. Henderson said it could be either a winger or a number 10 anywhere along that line of three in those attacking midfield spots. Seems like Inter Miami is going to stick with a four-two-three-one for now. At least that's what Chris Anderson kind of alluded to. He said if we stick with that four-two-three-one system, so if they're looking for a player in one of those three spots, obviously it's going to be an attacker. Probably going to be someone either on the left or in the middle. But I think they're trying to maximize that spot, and they're maybe going to wait and see what MLS says or what MLS rules with regards to the you know the under twenty-two initiative. If they can get a high DP player, man, you know, or, or just a DP player, not necessarily a big name or, a, you know, a, a world-recognized name, but this team, I think, could be, at least on paper, very, very good. Yeah, that that would be awesome if they could free up free up that spot. Then that really does open up and it completely would change the dynamic. It seems like they're, they're set on on Pizarro and Higuain definitely giving them, them a chance for sure. So then... Just that it's just that other spot, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens because that that could be a complete game changer and, and 
completely changed the way they kind of look at, at their transfer dealings now. So that we could uh, we could get another superstar British name in, you know, to, to, uh, <laughs> to add to Ryan and David and Phil and all those other guys. So uh, yeah, but that that it would be interesting to see what they're going to do because um, that could change the dynamic of everything. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see how how it plays out and you know how much longer can they wait because obviously they probably want to have as close to a, as at full strength roster as possible before the start of the season or as close to the start of the season as possible. We saw last year what happened when they didn't have uh, a team that was fully built and that obviously led to some issues. Quickly, Steve, before we can close out this segment, I also want to hear this quote from Phil Neville because you just touched on it. Rodolfo Pizarro, what is his role with the team going forward? Let's listen. I think when I think when you when you talk about Rodolfo uh, Pizarro, I think I think what you want forget the position you want him on the ball because he's got great technical ability. He's got the he's got the ability that probably some players haven't got the ability to turn the, the ability to see the pass. So I think I think that's something that we need to work really hard on is to get to get our best players on the ball, our best technical players on the ball, and that means that we have to give Rodolfo a good platform, a better platform to be successful. I, everyone I've spoke to. Uh, in the MLS, uh, coaches, friends, tell me what great ability this boy has got. This season, we need to see that. So, Steve, Phil Neville didn't give up a whole lot, kind of avoided. It was my question asking him about where he sees him on the field, where he, you know, where he wants to play him, be it a ten or out on the wing. And while he may not have said anything with regards to the position, he did seem to hit on. I mean, he didn't hit. He just said it directly that. He wants Pizarro on the ball, and they want to get the most out of Pizarro in 2021 because they know what he's capable of. So Pizarro's going to see plenty of the ball, it looks like. Now it's just a matter of where they fit him in. Yeah, absolutely. I think he, he, he definitely sees, as we all do, we all see there's definitely a player in there. There's a good player in there. He's got a nice touch. He's good on the ball. It just, for one reason or another, it just never really kind of clicked for him. Um, so, you know, they, they definitely recognize that, that they've got a, a, a good, good talent, you know, good investment on, on their hands and they just have to try and unlock him and whether or not it took him a bit of time to settle and you had COVID and all this kind of stuff. He was criticized back home in Mexico for sort of leaving the Mexican leave and, and, and allegedly taking a backward step by going to MLS. So maybe we'll see the best of him this year, but the coaching staff definitely are, are backing him. I'd be surprised if... Um, you know, he 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 would leave in in this in this window for sure. I think they're going to work with him. They know that he he's got talent, and um, we'll, we'll have to see see what happens. But they they're backing him for now for sure, and it'll be interesting to see if they can just just maybe coax out some consistent performances that we did didn't really get last year. You made me smile. I almost laughed, but I didn't want to interrupt you when your opening remark there. There's a good player in there somewhere. <laughs> Man, I am telling you, Rodolfo Pizarro is going to score a goal and he's going to lift up his shirt and it's going to say something not nice towards you, Steve Brennan. But he was, he, I, was, I just wasn't convinced by him last year. I talked Listen, about him I, agree, I agree he did not have a good season. He started out okay. He started out, but he started out well, even maybe after the the pandemic hiatus when when things kind of kicked back off at MLS's back he he still showed some things but then once you got to the second half of the season and I say half because it was obviously the majority of the games 
but there it was very inconsistent. And then you saw a lot of the negative aspects of his game come out where he was holding on to the ball too long and maybe dawdling a little bit too much and dribbling into traffic and just did and then his his you know his end product on the on the final third just wasn't there either. Uh, for me, I don't think he's a 10. I don't think he's a 10. Like I know he plays the 10 and Jermaine uses him as the 10 or has used him as a 10, but I don't think he's a 10. And he's not a winger cuz he doesn't have the pace to beat you down the touchline or the sideline and he doesn't have those you know, dribbling skills in one-on-one. Now, he, he can dribble in tight spaces, and, and he can connect passes well. To me, he's more of a center midfielder, but you already have two players in those in those spots. So I'm assuming that they're going to put him, they're going to keep him at the 10 spot for now, unless they sign somebody else there, and then maybe they'll push him out wide and try to maybe use him as an inverted winger, tucked in a little bit more, not necessarily going to give you a whole lot of whiff out there on the wing, but... We'll see what happens there. Let's take a quick break because we've talked a, a lot about a lot of different things. So let's take a quick break. We still have some other topics to talk about from Saturday, some other quotes that came out of it. So let's let's take a quick pause and we'll be back after this. Okay, Steve, so that first segment we touched on a lot, but we still have quite a bit more to talk about. And we'll start with one more player that was on the team in 2020. I asked Jorge Mas about Andres Reyes. Obviously, the team had made it a point to publicly say at the start of the offseason, at the start of the winter, that it wanted to bring Reyes back. Obviously, that did not happen. He is now with the New York Red Bulls. Inter Miami went with a more veteran presence in Ryan Shawcross. But why did it all happen? Well, this is what Jorge Mas had to say about that. When we looked at the death chart um, of our center backs and what we wanted, um, you know, uh, we decided to go in a different direction than Andres. Um, you know, with you know, there was there was there was some some conversations with Phil at the time about that, and and we went over it. So the decision was made that you know um, Andres would probably have an opportunity better in another team that we wouldn't have had here in Miami. So Mas essentially, Steve alluded to the fact that maybe Phil Neville did not rate him, did not rate Andres Reyes from what he saw on game film or what he saw on the matches he watched. Apparently, he did not rate Andres Reyes. Apparently, he sees maybe the games through a similar lens as you, the old-school English veteran presence, rough, tough-as-nails. Maybe, he, you know, the, the technical skills, and he didn't rate all that because at the end of the day Andres Reyes had some issues defensively is that I mean is that how you took it how did you read into that comment yeah I mean that's 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 what it sounds like I'm, I'm sure that Chris Henderson was was been watching from afar and was well, well aware of exactly what Andres Reyes you know brought brought to the table or, or lack lack thereof and you know I'm sure Phil Neville was head coach he, he probably gets the the final say but I just you just think that there was again there he's there was a player in there he's he's, he's clearly got some talent but did, you know, did, can they, can they <laughs> there's a play in there. That's like that's your uh, that's your uh, that's the nicest compliment you can give players that you don't rate. Tattooed. There's there's a player in there somewhere. <laughs> I'm, gonna get, I'm gonna get that tattooed on my throat tomorrow. Um, 
I, uh, I, I, I think they just need a bit of experience there. I think it's such a key, it's such a key area to to throw some, you know, a young guy in like that and just expect him just to produce from the start is 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 difficult. I wouldn't have had any problems with him still being in the squad, but then, you know, being a, a backup or whatever, and, and have Gonzalez Perez and, and Ryan Shawcross as the as the main, you know, back two, whatever. For, for who who knows why, you know, if they couldn't sort of keep him and, and just sort of nurture him. And bring out the player that we all know is there. Um, I think but, I think money's a part. I think I, I talked about yeah. that a few weeks ago as well. I think money obviously plays a part, especially in MLS when you you know you don't have unlimited resources. You can only spend a certain amount of money. They were going to have to pay a transfer fee to to bring him back, or or they could have you know maybe gotten another loan. But it, it was they. I guess they didn't deem him worth the amount they were going to have to spend for what they you know the amount of playing time he was probably going to get under Phil Neville. Look, to me, I still rate him. If he can stay healthy, that's a big if. But if he can stay healthy, I fully expect him to become a very solid player that makes the jump to Europe. I think Inter-Miami might rue this decision. Maybe it works out, you know, for all parties. Andres Reyes kills it with the Red Bulls. He goes to Europe. Inter-Miami moves on without him and, and does just fine at center back. And Ryan Shawcross comes in and stays healthy. And, you know, all parties... Are happy, but I don't know. I think they're gonna rue not keeping him and not further building him and eventually selling him because he's gonna bring in if he can stay healthy and if he makes that jump to Europe as a lot of people expect, a lot of people that work in the game expect. He's gonna he's gonna make a team a pretty pretty penny. But uh, anyway, let's let's move on to preseason plans because preseason plans were spoken about. Chris Henderson said that Inter-Miami wants to play four to five preseason games. Now, they're going to stay mostly local in Fort Lauderdale in South Florida. However, they might take, this was Chris Henderson's words, they might take a bus trip up north some somewhere else in the state and get games in. He didn't say where, but today Nashville SC announced that it has a friendly scheduled with Inter-Miami on April 3rd in Bradenton, Florida. So the Bradenton, Sarasota-ish area where the IMG Academy is. So that's one game Inter-Miami will have on its books and under its belt in preseason. Unfortunately, it is, according to Nashville SC, going to be played behind closed doors. So it's close to the media. It's close to fans. Hopefully one of the teams decides to stream it on their website or on their social Twitter handle so that we can at least watch and analyze and see how the teams are doing in preseason. But that seems like it'll be one game. It had also been reported by The Athletic a couple of weeks ago that Inter-Miami is set to play the Tampa Bay Rowdies. So that's two friendlies. I'd imagine that there's you know they're going to play other teams that are going to be in and around the area because Central Florida, because of the facilities, the infrastructure, the hotels, it's always a hot spot to to play or to have a you know preseason camp and preseason base for several teams just because there's so many fields and so much you know so much room for for everyone to kind of do their thing and work. So if if you know if games are if we can attend games, Steve, are you trying to go or are we going to take a Miami Tootle football caravan up to to Bradenton? What, what how are we doing this? Could yeah, we could do. I mean, it's a long walk, so um yeah, <laughs> but um yeah, I actually I covered some games at, there a couple of seasons ago, pre-seasons ago, when Bristol City of all teams uh, were actually training and based in Bradenton. So it's a, it's decent, it's a decent setup there. Um, but uh, I'm pretty sure they're going to probably play those games behind closed doors. They don't want the likes of me and you there, mate. I'm afraid. 
I mean, last year, I mean, obviously it's different before this was before the pandemic, but last year, you know, they opened the doors for two games. They had the fans come in. I don't know. I mean, I, listen, if if they can make it happen, I would not put it past Inter Miami to try to have these matches or as many, or at least a couple of these matches open to some public or maybe some season ticket holders or and, and supporters groups and then let us obviously on the media side come in as well or a, a few of us come in. Because, again, I think that they want to is have a closer connection with everybody. So I wouldn't be surprised if they at least open a couple. I mean, that, that's the hope, at least, anyway. So they, we can get a, a closer look at this team. in a, you know, Even if it's in a stadium, you can, you can see them. Or a makeshift stadium, you can see them. You can see maybe what Phil Neville's looking to do. It's either that or hopefully we get you know a stream somewhere, somehow. Now, speaking of fans... Another topic that was touched on on Saturday were fans at Inter-Miami CF Stadium. And Jorge Mas said anywhere from 3,500 to 6,000 to 8,000. That's around the number that they're looking at for the start of the season on April 17th. And his hope is that by the summer or the fall, with more vaccines being distributed and more time passing, that they'll be able to open fully at some point in 2020. But we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how things play out. Now, on the subject of stadiums, Mel Reese site, the Miami Freedom Project, Miami Freedom Park Project came up and Jorge Mas gave some positive news or some optimistic news saying that he he's optimistic that in March they will get a lease agreement. Now we're in March. It's March 1st today when we're recording. So at some point this month, he is optimistic that Inter-Miami will get a lease agreement done and that within 45 days, they'll get the green light to move forward with the project. I think that the fact that Jorge Mas said that the hope is that they'll get the green light to move forward in the next 45 days, that that's the hope, that it's still not, 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 not close to being a sure thing. So... We'll and, and let's be right. Let's be right. You know, we 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 were in the in the we went into the the club area on on, on Saturday. It's a great setup. They've got an absolutely brilliant setup there with the training ground next door. Everything is there. It's a it's it's a great setup, and it's it's what they will want if they could pick up uh, Lockhart Stadium and just plonk it in Maurice and then create a load of hotels and stuff around it. That's that was what they want. But let's let's don't don't fool ourselves. They've got a great setup right now. Why would they want to? Go anywhere else. It's a business. It's a business decision that they they want to do at some point. But for now, they, they've got they've got all the tools at their disposal. We're looking at the footage today. The, the, the training setup is is fantastic there. So let's just see what happens. But it's you know, like I say, are they going to start building? You know, in in June or July? And I don't think they've got any chance of that. Now to close out this segment, I want to listen to these two quotes from Jorge Mas and then from David Beckham. We'll start with Jorge Mas. Multiple conversations um, with global brands about being our jersey sponsor. Again, going back to 2020, um, there's a lot of rumors. We were, you know, at some points very close to having a jersey sponsor. We had multiple opportunities uh, for this year, 21. We're in, we're in conversations with with sponsors. Um, I do anticipate having a major jersey sponsor um, for this upcoming 21 year. Okay, Steve. So quickly, Jorge Mas. Saying that they're going to have a jersey sponsor or that, that that they're working on it and that he thinks they'll have one in 2021. We heard Paul McDonough say a lot of similar things in 2020 about how he thought it was coming and didn't happen. 
Do you think it will happen for Inter Miami in 2021? It sounded like they were more positive about that, didn't it? It'd be, I mean, it'd be interesting to see what direction they're going to take in it. I, I'm surely from a from a looking on the other side, I think it's a it's a good investment or good business opportunity for any big you know company to wanting that want to get involved in in what they're trying to do right here now. But um, well, well, we'll just we'll just have to wait and see. Maybe it'll be Miami Total Football Radio. I mean, you just don't. Know. <laughs> Hey, maybe, maybe we're working. We're working on it behind the scenes here. How much cash you, have you got? That's the problem. How much cash? I've got about like ten dollars in my pocket. Um, yeah, I'm a I'm a card guy, man. I don't carry a lot of cash. Maybe when I get a haircut, that's a that's about it. Um, but look, I think I think we'll see one. I think we'll see one. I, I think that it'll get done. Look, Jorge Mas to me is very forthcoming. Uh, I've seen that from the few in exchanges we've had since I moved back. He's you know sometimes maybe he says things that. Maybe he shouldn't say, like, you know, he revealed over on Saturday that Ian Frey tore his ACL and is out indefinitely, which is a blow for Inter Miami and Ian Frey, the teenage center back who was probably going to see some playing time this year. But I believe Jorge Mas when he says that he thinks it'll get done. I I think he, I believe him that he thinks it's going to happen. And if if he thinks it's going to happen, it's because they have to be in negotiations and in conversations with someone they obviously know that they have to that they need to fill that spot not only because fans want it and fans want to see the jerseys be a little look a little less plain but also because of for financial reasons it makes sense to get a deal done sooner rather than later so you can have that source of income and revenue coming in now let's go to the David Beckham quote here so i think that you know going forward you know we have obviously a lot of pink with it, with our uh with, with with our ideas um, so you know the team wear it every single day uh, the fans love it um, and we're listening to that all right Steve so David Beckham is pr- pretty much said it I know you don't care much for jerseys I know you don't maybe this isn't your you know your, your favorite talking point here but a pink jersey will apparently be on the way at some point in the near future at least that's what David Beckham kind of alluded to he said there's a lot of pink in their ideas I mean the fans have been clamoring for it you saw the training, the new training top today, the one that I pushed out on Miami Total Football's YouTube page a month or two ago. They wore that top with black shorts. It's a more bolder pink. It's called True Pink, I think is how Adidas is labeling it. Black shorts with pinks with pink accents, pink top with black accent. It looks to me it looks incredible. It's fire. That needs to be into Miami's identity and go to look when they play home games. That's what's gonna I think resonate with the club and with the market, they need to 100% adopt that going forward. Hopefully, it happens as soon as 2022, but we'll see. It might it might be 2023 because obviously jerseys get planned out a couple of years in advance. So we'll take another quick break. We'll come back for our Q and A session and our final thoughts. All right, Steve. Q and A time. We know the we know the protocol. We know the system. Let's go. First one comes from Joseph. E, at Joseph Jean, personalized the question for me. Franco, I know you don't like this type of question, but what's your super early prediction on what position in the Eastern Conference will be in at the end of the season? I don't, like he said, it's not that I don't like it. I just prefer to wait and, you know, put my opinion out there publicly until I've seen how all the teams are building their rosters and establishing themselves and have a better idea of how things are. Especially in MLS when, you know, midseason you have a bunch of new signings that can really make or break a season so if I have to give you an answer here and I will 
top top six, top six in the East. I don't somewhere in there. Top six, Steve. Yeah, I mean, it's, they, they're gonna have a, they're gonna have a competitive squad, aren't they? I think and that's the that's the thing with MLS parity is is pretty much attainable. I think from from any any team, it's just I think how how they're coached and how they they get. It. I think they need a good start. If they can get a good start, and I think the confidence will be going. And yeah, there's absolutely no reason why they can, can't finish in the top six. And it was so tight last year, wasn't it? Two or three better results either way, and they would have they would have gone right up the table anyway. So um, yeah, I think that that that's the aim, and it's not that's not. It's not um, it's not unachievable for sure. Jorge Mas said they wanted to finish in top three. That that's their goal. They want to finish top three. I think top six is more realistic. I have questions about Inter Miami's depth. Even if they sign uh, uh, Kieran Gibbs or a good left back and they sign a, a good attacker, I still have questions about Inter Miami's depth because I don't think they have very much of it. Next question comes from at Siege Orlando. So it's the Siege chapter, the Siege supporters group chapter. In Orlando, who would be your ideal signing for the next person to come to Inter Miami? Steve, you can start here. Well, I mean, it needs to be. I think they, it needs to be an attacking player, doesn't it? For sure. I think that's you know if they've, if they've sort of solidified the middle of the park a bit, then we just you need a bit of creativity. He's talked about maybe potentially getting a left winger in. I know someone that's just going to get get the bums off seats, get the fans the fans exciting. It's sort of Recent post, someone wrote about uh, Oscar, you know, the former Chelsea guy that's, that's in 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 China right now. Um, someone of, of that ilk, just a you know a, a playmaker, someone that can just link, link play and, and and create chances. Ala Pizarro, isn't you know that's what he's supposed to be doing, but hasn't really been doing it. Sorry, Steve, to put you on the spot there because this is a question that I saw earlier today, and I did put some thought into it. I actually did think about it. I would go get, and again, this is we're talking about ideal signing. I would go get. Juan Cuadrado, or this was my actual this was my actual preference, Marcelo, Real Madrid left back, and he doesn't even need to play left back for you. He can play because he's so good technically and in the attack in MLS. He could absolutely cut it as a left winger, and I think he would kill it and give you exactly what you want out of that position. That's if you had you know obviously the ideal scenario or the ideal dream signing. Obviously, that it takes a lot of money and. Probably it's. I mean, I, I would put money on it not happening because this is just me. This is just conjecture on my part. But that's who I would go for if I, you know, if I could sign he's anybody. Good shout. I mean, he's only th- he's only thirty two as well. So um... I mean, I say Juan Cuadrado because obviously there's a big Colombian, you know, influence or a big Colombian right. community in 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 South Florida. So you know, if you wanted to get a player that could give you some something on the wing, and maybe he plays that on the right, and you put Lewis Morgan on the left in that regard. You know, you have a player that can be effective, that can make an impact, that's playing at a high level, and he can also appeal to the larger South Florida community or the Colombians in the larger South Florida community. So, join up with these old Juventus Juventus teammates and, as well. Yeah, there you go, and there, and you've got two former Juventus players that can sell him on it, and there you go, Juan Cuadrado to Inter Miami. I, I mean, I really like Marcelo as a player. Uh, next one comes from Via at JVL underscore five. What's your pr- uh, your opinion on Jason Christ as assistant coach? Like I said earlier, I think it's gonna be. I think it's a good decision. Give someone, on or give Phil Neville someone that can get, let him know the lay of the land in MLS, the difficulties, the challenges, all that. I think will help Phil Neville, and it's it's a big plus. Something that you know Diego Alonso didn't really have on his stuff. True, and he's also involved still with the US under under twenty three squad as well, isn't he? So I think he's going to be missing potentially for part of the Olympics. 
um, carries on or continue, you know, is, is staged. But I just think he's he's just got his his eye across a wide range of soccer centric things in in the US and beyond. I think his experience is 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 so valuable. Last question comes from J.R. Reed. Hey, gents, any idea who the two players or positions Chris Anderson wants to sign? Also, they mentioned a possible site or lease for the new stadium. When do you think they will make an announcement? So we touched on both of these. Uh, obviously, like I said, they're looking for a left back. Kieran Gibbs is an option, supposedly one of several, according to, to the Team Brass. And the other position they're looking for is in the attack. Again, to reiterate, they said 4-2. If they stick with a 4-2-3-1, that player would be someone that could be anywhere across the three positions in the advanced midfield line. So we're talking left winger, a number 10 central attacking midfielder, or a right winger. So any of those three could do. You know, I, I don't know who they're going for there. Again, I think they're waiting to see what they can do if they have the flexibility to move, you know, Pellegrini, Pellegrini's contract and seeing if they can have that that option steve that about does it for this show so what are your final thoughts here and i'll give mine and we'll wrap up the show yeah no look like like we said they're saying all the right things they're doing all the right things um they're you know sweet talking the media which is which is fine we love that you know we want to have a relationship with them it's got off to a good start but i think now is you know they've done their talking now it's now the preseason really begins to start and they start playing games and now it all builds up to April 17th or 18th, uh, whenever that is, um, whenever they're going to f- play that first game. And, and, you know, that, that, and it all builds up to that, to that moment, you know, so um, they've made a decent start, but now the hard work begins. Well, my final thought is, have you seen Gonzalo Higuain's beard? Man, that thing is serious. And I'm not, this is no criticism. I can't grow a beard like that. So this is nothing but appreciate appreciation, but Man, that beard is serious. He has grown it out one winter, like I tweeted uh, on my Twitter handle, at Franco Panizo, one winter in South Florida, and he's looking like DJ Khaled and Rick Ross. If you haven't seen it, check out the image. It's a new look for Gonzalo Higuain. I think it suits him. Definitely makes him look a little more fierce, that's for sure. But in all seriousness, I can't believe it's been a year. I'm going to go back to something you touched on earlier, Steve. I can't believe it's been a year since Inter-Miami's first ever game against LAFC. I remember being in the stadium at Bank of California Stadium. You were there. We didn't really know each other that well yet, but I just remember sitting down and looking at and watching the local team, the Miami team, and trying to see what they were all about. Obviously, things didn't go well for them on the day and over the course of 2020, but we're heading into year two, and we'll see how things go for Inter-Miami. For the club's sake, hopefully, it'll be a better year. We'll leave it there. We'll come back next week when preseason officially begins. We'll probably know more about Inter-Miami's preseason plans by then. Maybe Gregory and Ryan Shawcross will be in the mix, but we'll see. As always, give us a review if you haven't already, please, and give us a follow as well on all our social media channels. For Steve Brenner, I'm Franco Pinizo, and we'll talk to you guys again next week.